So how are you this morning? It's good to be back with you. I think you remember that I was interim here for a little while while we were waiting on Roger to be able to get moved and find a home, and that was a great experience for me. Sorry it had to be during COVID, <laughs> and uh, but we did make it through, didn't we? We figured out a way to get together and when we could. And anyway, I want to thank you. Um, um, some of you know that I am Associate Director of Missions for Blue River Kansas City Baptist Association, which is the association which serves the 140-plus churches in Jackson and Cass County. And so I've been a pastor most of my life, but now I'm kind of, people say, what do you do in a line? I'm a pastor to pastors and a church consultant. So that's what I do now mostly, and it's an honor to do that and to serve your church and to be of assistance any way that I can. You also know that our association started an anti-trafficking ministry called Restoration House of Greater Kansas City. It's in our county. It's not far from here. Many of you have volunteered. We appreciate this church, the offerings you've taken for us, the times that you've come out and plowed and worked and and toiled and and helped us with that ministry. And uh, by God's grace, we're in the process of a renovation right now, which will allow us to move from caring for six women rescued from trafficking to caring for 17. So just continue to be in prayer for that renovation as it goes on, and we're excited about that. But if you have your Bibles, you'd like to follow along, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10, and then I'm going to read... 17 to 19, <clears throat> and uh, um, I'm going to talk to you about a subject that makes everyone feel comfortable when the pastor talks about it, and that is money. <laughs> but I, I want to maybe share um, <clears throat> a perspective from the Bible that we haven't considered. I've entitled my sermon, Some Surprising and Not-So-Surprising Things the Bible Has to Say About Wealth, because I think there's probably not one area more you know, that a Christian wrestles with is, how am I supposed to feel about this? You know, I'm, I kind of get conflicting messages, it seems, at times about how am I supposed to understand wealth, manage wealth, think about it, you know, what is a spiritual, biblical position of, of, of what I'm supposed to believe about uh, material things, because we live in a material world, don't we? And we're all uh, blessed with certain material things and opportunities and and, and wealth that the Lord gives us, talents, if you will, and we have to manage those. And so I hope today really uh, doesn't make you uncomfortable. I, I hope that it gives you a stronger confidence in your role in God's kingdom and what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to view wealth and not stressing about it at all. That's what I hope uh, happens as a, as a result of this message. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read First Timothy 6, 6 to 10 to begin with. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. But godliness actually is a means to great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into a trap, into a temptation, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we have this picture painted of, you know, the dangers of wealth, okay? And I read a book some time ago by a guy named Dallas Willard, uh, called the Spirit of the Disciplines, and it really impacted my life. And 
And it spoke to this passage in a way that I'd never heard. But he asked the question, is it more spiritual to be rich or to be poor? And he went on to say that if you ask 100 people, 100 believers that question, they will almost always say that it's more spiritual to be poor. The reality is that's not true biblically. Okay? Now, there are things that the Bible does say about being poor. It, it does say that the Lord has a special place in his heart for the poor, and we are to care for the poor. That when we do it unto the least of these, his brethren, we've done it unto him, right? In Matthew 25, the one who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, Proverbs tells us. James tells us we are uh, not to show partiality or preferential treatment to a rich person over a poor person in our worship. But there's nowhere that it says there's more spiritual virtue to being poor than being rich. Now, the Bible indicates that there are unique challenges to being either rich or poor. If you're rich, you can come to trust in riches. You can become enamored with those. You quit trusting in God. You can fall in love with that and with pleasure, and you can go after that and pierce yourselves with many griefs, many sorrows. You can wander away from the faith. There are warnings. But it also says there are warnings for being poor. As the proverb says that uh, there is a temptation in wanting to steal if we don't have enough. So he says, Lord, don't give me poverty or riches, but give me that which I need. And so we understand that there are unique challenges to either being poor or to being rich. And so we understand that it's from the Bible, if you look at it from a, 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 just a, a purely biblical standpoint, it's not more spiritual to be rich. It's not more spiritual to be poor. The, the, the level of your virtue and in, in your, uh, your holiness and in, in your connection to God is not based on what's in or not in your bank account. It's based on what's in your heart. Because all of us can look at the world around us and see that there are, there are greedy, selfish, covetous rich people, and there are greedy, covetous, envious poor people. It's not what's in your bank account that makes you spiritual. It's what's in your heart. So it's not more spiritual to be rich or to be poor. It's more spiritual, according to this passage, to be content regardless of whether you're rich or poor, somewhere in between, and that's where most of us are. He says in verse 8, if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. We are not to be discontent. We are to be content with our financial situation. That doesn't mean we don't have a plan. doesn't mean that we're not managing our wealth. It doesn't mean that we're not trying to further our education or our income earning ability. It just means that wherever we are today, we can be content. He says godliness actually is a means to great gain when accompanied by contentment. We're not supposed to stress over it. We're to be satisfied with where we are. We happen to live in the most blessed nation in the world as far as prosperity. And if you've traveled any, you know that. You know that the minute that you go outside of these United States, you're in a different world. That's why I'm such a big advocate of youth mission trips. Because not only do you accomplish a lot for the kingdom in those places, it's a life-transforming thing for those kids and adults who go. 
I took my kids to Puerto Rico, to Mexico, to El Salvador. I went to Belarus three times, a former Soviet state. And you come back from those places so grateful that you live in the United States and that you have the opportunities and the freedoms that you have here. All these folks who are down on the U.S., they just need to travel a little bit. I don't know what it is they think they want, but they just need to go outside of the United States. They will come back and fall on their face and kiss this ground and say, Lord, thank you that you allowed me to be born in this nation with these freedoms and these opportunities. And that's what happened with my kids. We came back from El Salvador, Puerto Rico. My kids are six years apart, but they both, as they came back, would say, Dad, I have been so ungrateful. I'm sorry. I have so much. I didn't realize that people lived in that kind of squalor and poverty. And they were grateful. Paul says this about contentment, Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul experienced a wide range of circumstances. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in the top echelon of Jewish society. He, he was a lawyer. He was a Pharisee. He, he, he was regarded as the highest pinnacle that you could go in Jewish society. And there was probably wealth that went with that. And then he became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he just began traveling from city to city, and depending on the goodness of God's people and God's providential provision, didn't he? And there were times when he was living on, you know, just a prayer, a wing and a prayer, right? And so he understood. And he, he, out of that, he summarizes this. I've learned to be content in whatever my circumstances. I, I've, I've lived when I didn't have two nickels to rub together, and I've lived when there's abundance and plenty. And I've just learned that in either one of those circumstances, I'm going to be content. When I have plenty, I'm not going to want more. And when I don't have enough, I'm, I'm just going to trust that God's going to give me what I need, and I'll be fine. Having food and clothing, let us therewith be content, right? He came to that point where I can be content if I just have the basics of life. And then 4.13, the most often misquoted verse in the Bible. (laughs) I can do all things. This is the very next verse, well, two verses. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? And how do we hear that quoted most of the time? You know, like I can accomplish some personal goal, some great ambition, I can overcome some temptation, and that's all fine to apply it that way, maybe. But you don't want to lose track of the context in which Paul spoke this. He was talking about living from day to day and sometimes not having enough and sometimes having plenty and sometimes having more than you need. And that's the context of this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I don't have two nickels to rub together and I just have food and clothing and that's all I've got, I can be content. I can do all things. So when we say, look, I, don't, I, I just can't afford to be generous. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford uh, to give to that mission trip. I can't afford to do that, you know, help that person. That's when we need to apply the passage. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, we can. Because the Bible says that God supplies all that we need to be generous in another place. So. We've got to trust in the Lord. You know, it's not saying we're we're not going to have a budget. We're not going to have a financial plan. It's just going to say that, look, my life is in God's hands. I'm going to trust him. I know that he's got this. I've never seen God's children begging for bread, as as David will say, and it's going to be okay. I can be content. Don't worry. Be happy. And you know why you can do that? You know why you can be content regardless of whatever financial circumstance you find yourself 
because you're already rich if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He, he loves you. He gave his life for you. He saved you. He's forgiven your sins. Eternal life is yours. No man can pluck you from his hand. Man, it's just, it's just incredible the promises that we have, that, that we're rich already. You know, we're, uh, I think the Bible says there in Romans 8 that we're uh, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know what that means? It means God wrote you into his will. That's a pretty good person to be wrote in, written into their will, right? Because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth someday, and all of the abundance of that, you're going you're gonna to be an heir of that with, with your Lord Jesus Christ. You're a co-heir with Christ. We're going to inherit all of that. We're already rich. That's why we can be content. It's why we don't have to stress out about where we are. You know, it, we, we can have a financial plan. We can be working on it. We can, we can be furthering our education, all those things. That's fine. But just don't sweat it. Be content. Be content. Secondly, it's not more spiritual to be rich or to be poor. It's more spiritual to understand that you own nothing and that you're only managers of what God gives you. And need I say, this is Christianity 101. And somehow believers still don't get this idea that God owns everything. And we don't own anything. We don't possess anything. We manage what God has given us. It all belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. You belong to God. And you belong to God because he purchased you. He redeemed you. The, the picture of redemption is he bought you back from sin and death through his own blood on the cross. So he owns you. We're not our own. We belong to him. And everything that we own belongs to him as a gift. It's his. Paul tells us in Colossians that all things were created by him and for him that were created, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's pretty comprehensive. Jesus tells a multitude of parables where there is uh, someone uh, like an estate owner, if you will, and, and the, the most popular of those uh, where we're to be managers of what God gives us is that parable of the talents in Matthew 25, and you're familiar with that parable, right? where this uh, wealthy estate owner is going off on a trip and he gives uh, one five talent, another two talents, and then another servant one talent. And uh, then he goes off on this journey. And then he comes back from the journey and he calls those servants in to see how they've managed that which uh, he has given them. And you remember the, the one who was given five, he had he had multiplied that, multiplied it, earned another five. The one who had two had multiplied and earned another two. The one who had one buried it in the ground and didn't do anything. They didn't sense that they had a responsibility to the Lord to manage that talent that the Lord had given him. They, had, they didn't have any sense of what we call stewardship or that this belonged to God. It wasn't just mine to put in the ground. It was his, and I was going to give an account to him about how I managed what he gave me in my lifetime. That's, that's the meaning of this parable. It's the meaning for us. What has God given you throughout your lifetime to manage for his glory, his good, and his purposes? And so the master's rebuke in Matthew 25 is so harsh, but it's just. It's fair. Throw the lazy, wicked servant out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a, it's, it's a very serious thing not to realize that we have this 
this stewardship, this responsibility of management of what God has given us. He's given you so many talents and, and gifts. He's given you a portion of faith. He's, he's given you material things. He's given you a job, talents, abilities, and opportunity. And he expects you to manage those for his glory, his purposes, and the greatest good of those around you. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. That's, that's just Christianity 101. I, I don't know if you've ever read the book by Randy Alcorn. Um, it's, it's called uh, The Treasure Principle. And he talks about that passage where Jesus said, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust dust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves things in heaven where neither moth nor rust dust corrupt nor thieves break in and steal. And, and, and the purpose of that is not to say don't ever save or invest. The purpose of that is to save that consider what your legacy is going to be when you die. Consider how you've managed those resources which the Lord has given you. And as he summarizes that, you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, what he says is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I love that. You can't take it with you. And that's what Paul said there. We brought... Nothing into this world is certain we can take nothing out, right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead through how you invest in people and the kingdom and things here on earth that matter to God. You can send it on ahead, store up for yourselves treasures on heaven, and it'll be waiting on you through having a mind that's, that's concerned about the things of God. And he will multiply those things, and he'll see that you've used those talents for his, his good and his glory. And he'll say, well done, now good and faithful servant someday. As uh, Randy Alcorn will say in that book, if you imagine your life as this, I'll start over here because it would probably be this way, this infinitely long line. This is your life because, you know, we understand we're going to live forever somewhere, right? Either in heaven or away from God. So let's say your life is this eternally long horizontal line. That's your life. Now, let me put a dot right there. She had a chalkboard. Let me put a dot right there on this infinitely long line. You know what that dot is? That's your life on earth. Our lives are but a vapor, right, James says? That appear for a while and then vanisheth away. Your life is a dot on the eternally long line. And so what Randy Alcorn says based on the treasure principle, Matthew 6, don't live for the dot, live for the line. You see, what we're really talking about is your spiritual legacy. We're talking about what you did with your life and how you manage the Lord's goods in this life. We are to manage those for him. That's what's more spiritual. Dallas Willard in the book challenges us to think about the disastrous results of what would happen if every believer suddenly just gave away all of their wealth and everything. In other words, he says that when we come to the Bible and we read the story of the rich young ruler. You remember this story, right? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and, and uh, he says, I've kept all the commandments and Jesus is only this that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he couldn't do it because he loved money more than God. So sometimes we take away from that that the template is that all believers are supposed to give away everything they have sell it, give it to the poor, and then come and follow God and be a part of a monastic order somewhere and hum chants somewhere in a, in a monastery, in a cave. I don't know. <clears throat> but this is not a template. This is not an instruction for every single believer to divest themselves of all the wealth and all the money they have and then come and follow Jesus. We're all, we're all supposed to be following Jesus every day, taking up our cross and following him daily, right? 
But he only asks this rich young ruler to go and sell all he has because he knows it's his God. If it's your God, then by all means go and do that. For the, but for the vast majority of Christians, he wants us to receive the gifts that he gives us, the wealth and the material goods, and to manage those for his glory. And to always be conscious of how are we investing in eternity. We can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. That's what he wants. And he asks us to consider what, what if the whole world, what if every Christian today or tomorrow went and unloaded their bank accounts and unloaded their mutual funds and sold all the properties and land that they had and gave it away, where would it go and what ultimately would happen? He said it would be disastrous because there might be a bump in, you know, charitable contributions and so forth, but then after that there would be nothing because you and I would just be living hand-to-mouth trying to make it and we wouldn't be positioned to give generously to our churches and our favorite charities and the things that help humanity and God's purposes, right? He says, what would happen is all of that wealth would shift to the unbelieving world. Do you think they're going to manage it for God's purposes and God's glory? Heavens, no. It's going to be used for all kinds of selfish and evil things. So he says, no, don't, you know, that, that's, this is not a template for all believers just to go and sell everything they have and, and give it all away. No. The vast majority of Christians, he wants you to understand that you're like that parable of the talents. He's given you some talents, however many it is, some one, some two, some five. But however many it is, it's your responsibility to, to be a good manager of that. Let's move on. So it's not more spiritual to be rich or poor. It's more spiritual to be content. It's more spiritual to manage what God has given you. But thirdly, it's more spiritual to be generous than to be miserly and selfish. Look at what Paul says in verses 17 through 19 of our passage today. These are instructions for those who are well off. And as we pretty much define how many Americans are well off compared to the rest of the world, I will say that about the poorest American is richer than the average person in a third world country. I think I can prove that to you. Just go with me on a mission trip. Verse 17 to 19, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all things to enjoy. So it says it right there. He does supply things for you to enjoy. He does want you to have hobbies. He does want you to enjoy your life right? It's okay. 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The main reason why it's not more spiritual to be poor is because for you to be generous, for you to help someone, You have to have something to give, don't you? You have to have something to give something. That's why it's not more spiritual to be poor. It's not more spiritual to be rich either, but it is more spiritual to be generous with what God has given you. Generosity is a primary characteristic of the faithful. We are never more like God than when we're giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? 
The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You're never more like God than when you're giving. You're never more pleasing to God than when you're expressing the generosity of the grace and the love that he has shed abroad in your heart. It's when we're selfish and miserly and we're holding it tight and we don't think we can ever do anything or we can't ever help somebody. We can't ever give because, well, we need that thing. That's what's unspiritual. Whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between. Believers gave away everything. We wouldn't have anything with which to help those around us. We all want to help. Here's, here's what I believe about most believers. I think 99% of them are generous in their heart. They, they have a compassionate heart. When they see someone in need or, or they see a story on, on the television, I mean, our hearts are moved to compassion. We want to help, but we don't always do it. Because we're not in a position financially to be able to help. And what I would say is, is if we're to be managers, then our role is to get ourselves into the position financially to be able to be generous. Wouldn't you agree? And if you make that your goal for, for gaining wealth, I think God can bless that. If you're just, I'm not preaching a health and wealth gospel. A health and wealth gospel is where I use God to get what I want for me. Right? That's the health and wealth gospel. If I ask God to prosper me that I might be generous and support his work and help others, that's not the health and wealth gospel. That's the opposite of the health and wealth gospel. That's like, Lord, I'm not going to be this, you know, this device that just catches all your blessings and holds them for myself like the Dead Sea, which is dead. I'm going to be like a river. I'm going to be like a funnel that as you pour into my life, I'm just continually pouring it out the other side to to those in need continually blessing others as you bless me my life is more like a funnel than just a a pot or a cup and that's the way to see yourself you know paul says this in verse eight so but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I used to wonder, well, what is this destruction and ruin that people plunge themselves in? How do they do that? How is it that they get there? And this says it's the inordinate, the over-the-top lust and greed for more and more money. And having going after it, we pierce ourselves with many sorrows and we we sometimes leave the faith, and and I and I I've I've observed people a long time. My degrees economics and finance, which is beside the point. But I've always had a, a strong interest in the believer's understanding of wealth. That's why this passage was strong in my heart. But I've watched people throughout my life. You know, when I'm, I'll be fifty nine next month, this month, into this month, it's July already, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, and I've watched, you know, I don't know if you're an observer of people, but I've watched people throughout my life. And I've just kind of saw how their life played out. And I, I won't name all of them, but I'll name two things that I think are the, the big mistakes that people make in, in terms of bringing themselves to ruin or, you know, their faith is bruised or they're, they're having a hard time. 
they're hurting themselves by the way they're, they're understanding wealth. And the first thing that I would see is, is the get-quick-rich uh, thing. You know, how many of you throughout your life have had somebody come to you and tell you about this opportunity, this wonderful thing that's too good to be true, and it's going to make you rich? It's a, it's a get-rich-quick scheme. And that really plays to all of our baser sinful self-emotions. Wow, that would be so easy than having to earn it over a lifetime and build it over a life, build wealth over a lifetime. It would be so much easier if I could just get rich quick. That's what I see more people ending up in bankruptcy, chapter 11, because they went after the false bait, right? They took it. They took the lure, and it was a mirage, and it didn't work, and they ended up without that money. The fool is soon parted with his money, the Bible says. If it gets a little extra, it's gone. All right, that's the first one, and I won't elaborate on that. But the next one is the one that hits us all, and it's where we live, and I've dealt with it myself, and I've had to come to grips and learn things and and learn about it because it's part of that management issue that I talked about, we're to be good stewards, okay? And that is the second thing is debt. Debt is the second big killer of people's finances, of their dreams, of their ability to build wealth over a lifetime so that they can be generous and manage it for God's, God's glory and people's good. And I don't know how you feel just from an economic standpoint. I don't think there's any good debt. There's awful debt. And then there's less awful debt. Less awful debt would be like school loans because you're getting an education that's going to get you a job, right? That's less awful debt. Uh, a loan on a house because most of us don't have the cash in our pocket to go out and buy a house. That's less awful debt. Uh, borrowing money to start a business. That's less awful debt because there's a chance that you know, you're going to prosper and you're going to be able to pay that back and it's all great, okay? That's, that's less awful debt. Uh, awful debt... Uh, payday loans, uh, credit card debt, right? Borrowing on luxury items, borrowing to supplement a uh, over-the-top lifestyle that we really can't afford. That's awful debt, all right? And we see people get in trouble with that. Now, the reason I say there's no good debt is because when you borrow money, what you're doing is you're using someone else's money and paying a fee to use it, and that fee is the interest rate, right? And it's not just simple interest. That would be wonderful, but it's always what? Compound interest. And that's like a snowball. You know, when a snowball starts this big at the top of a mountain, and every rotation it picks up more volume of snow, right? A multiple, right? And every time it goes around, it's bigger. By the time it gets there, it's this big, all right? It's... It's growing in an exponential amount, is what the mathematician would say. More than just simple interest, right? Someone asked Albert Einstein, the great physicist one time, they said, what is the greatest force in the universe? He was at a science symposium, and all these students were out there, these sharp kids listening. They thought he was going to say something like, the sun, a quasar, black hole, that's the greatest force in the universe. You know what he said? Compound interest. This is true. He said compound interest. He was right. Now, I'm going to stop meddling and keep preaching. I hope that you see it that way because I'm trying to get you positioned to be a manager so that you can be generous, okay? 
But I'll tell, I'll tell you what I notice about debt and what I've noticed about people's finances is it's not usually a couple of big things that mess up their ability to be generous and to manage their, their wealth well. It's a lot of little stuff that messes up the monthly budget. You with me? Uh, what Solomon would call the little foxes. He said there, he said, catch the little foxes, for the little foxes are ruining the vineyard while it is in bloom. And I think for most people, it's not a couple of big things. It can be that messes up their budget, but it's usually a bunch of little stuff. It's a bunch of little stuff. And we know what that little stuff is. We've all bought it. Premium cable. Gym memberships, $5 coffees, eating out too many times, magazine subscriptions, tanning salons, extended warranties, timeshares, impulse buying. I could go on and on, and we've all done it, and that's okay because God is a merciful God. It's all right, but I'm just saying what, what we owe it to God to do, if we're going to be good managers and we're going to be generous, is we owe it to him to sit down and look at our finances and look at our debit card purchases, our credit card purchases, our checking purchases and just kind of scrutinize that folks the little foxes what is it that's really where's you know it will surprise you where your money's going and that's all a budget is you need a budget it's what tells your money where to go so it doesn't control you and you end up with too much month at the end of the money right that's all a budget is i'm just sharing dave ramsey financial piece you know that i've done it it works and, and the thing that I would encourage you to do is find out what the little foxes are and stop those and then start paying off your debts, your, your installation to Lowe's for the washer and dryer you bought, the overhead Bosch, front-loading Bosch that you really didn't need. Just kidding, just kidding. But I'm just saying, you start with those little debts, you pay off the smallest one first. In, in fact, I don't have to know your – I hope that I could offer this. I hope Roger doesn't mind this. I just would offer this as a courtesy to you, as a – blessing that God has blessed me in this area. If, if you want to get out of debt, and I figure I'm talking to young folks mostly. I, I hope older people to a point in their life where they're at a different place. But if you're a young person, you want to get out of debt, you don't have to come and divulge all your finances to me. All you have to do is sit down with me for a half an hour. I'll show you a plan without ever looking at any of your money to show you how to get out of debt. I'll just show you the principle. It'll be so easy. You'll go home. You'll be like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I do this two years ago? three years ago because wouldn't it be cool if within let's say about two years you could be completely out of debt and maybe the only debt you had left was your house and with every other debt gone you had all this freed up money to now throw at your house payment and now you could see that within four or five years you could even be done with your house payment as a young couple wouldn't that be cool it works but you have to have a budget to tell your money where to go so it doesn't control you and the little foxes don't eat it up. And you have to get out of debt so that you've got money so that you're not paying the bank to borrow their money. You've got money to use for investments and things that make you money so that you can position yourself to be that good steward that the Lord gave five talents or two talents and you turned around and when he showed up again at the second coming, you could say, Lord, this is, this is how I've managed what you gave me in my lifetime. This is my legacy of generosity. And here's how I've shared with your people and been a blessing to others. Wouldn't that be cool? That's all I want for everybody. That's, what that's all I want for everybody is just financial peace. Where the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. But where there is debt, there is bondage. And I just want you to have that liberty in Christ.
And just to understand, you're already a winner. He already purchased you with his own blood. You're, you're a winner. You can be content today. You don't have to strive, struggle, be envious, worry about what the guy next to you has, keeping up with it. Forget about what the Jones have. You just put your head to the grindstone, get rid of the little foxes, and figure out how to manage what God's given you, whether it's one talent, two talent, or five, and be content. Don't sweat it. For by worrying, neither none of us can add one cubit to our stature, can we? Can we? Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which, which assures us that you're the one who gives these blessings. You're the one who gives us these material things, both for our livelihood, to live, to take care of our children, just for our daily needs. But you also give us that which we have, Lord, to manage well and to be a blessing to others. That's just stewardship 101. And, Lord, we are called to do that. And I I just thank you for this church, for their generosity. Lord, I know each of them are on a, a very individual journey and their quest to be like you and and their discipleship journey. And I just pray that you bless each one of them. I pray this this message registers so deeply in their heart that they see what you want for them. And it's not bondage. It's not making their life hard. It's not taking away from them to do something for someone else. It's it's them using what you've given them to bless someone else. And you're going to bless them in the meantime. And they're going to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. They're going to end up the more blessed. Father, you are a good father. You're a heavenly father. What father, if his son asks him for a fish, gives him a serpent or a piece of bread? You, Lord, you, you give us good gifts. You're the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Everything comes from you. And so, Lord, I pray for this time together. I pray your word just finds its place in our hearts today that this message resonates with us, and that we have a new desire to get up and, Lord, be good managers of all that you've given us because we have been given so much, starting with our forgiveness and our salvation. Lord, thank you today. Bless, have your way in our hearts, and, Lord, bring about the life transformation that only you can through your word. In Christ's name I pray, and God's people said,